Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Future Hacker. I'm your host, Maria Taiji, and today we are talking to Kyle Detweiler. Kyle is the CEO of Clever Leaves. Prior to the integration of Northern Swan and Clever Leaves in 2019, Detweiler served as a CEO and co-founder of Northern Swan Holding, as well as co-founded Silver Swan Capital, an investment firm focused on niche and underfollowed sectors. He was also a principal at the Blackstone Group and was previously a member of the private equity practice at KKR. He began his career as an investment banker at Morgan Stanley. Hi, Kyle. It's great to have you with us today. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. So, Kyle, Cleverly's is this multinational cannabis company with an emphasis on ecologically sustainable large-scale cultivation, and pharmaceutical-grade processing. Could we just begin our conversation with an overview of the cannabis industry in the U.S. against other markets? How is the development and which do you see as the most promising area? That's the very first time we are covering this topic, which I find super interesting. There's a lot to debate, right? So let's try to begin with this overview. Sure. Well, I think the most interesting part about cannabis regulation in the United States is that, you know, no matter what I'm about to say, you know, most of the cannabis industry is still federally prohibited in the United States. Yes, there are laws in various states which allow for the production of psychoactive cannabinoids, but it still kind of runs under the same framework that, you know, nothing is still permitted at the federal level. So it's a, a bit of a gray area, you could say. On the other hand, when we look to another type of or a, a very common cannabinoid, CBD, you know, that is a federally legal framework. You know, I think the FDA, you know, sort of the U.S. equivalent of Envisa is still trying to come up with some frameworks around how CBD will be regulated and what, you know, claims and what sort of marketing processes different CBD companies need to go through. But, you know, that's kind of where we sit. And so, you know, if you were to assume that a state authorization notwithstanding a federal prohibition, would enable you to, you know, move into the cannabis industry, you still have about, you know, 30 different state regulations. And each of those states have different rules around vertical integration, potency levels, taxation. So it's a very, very complicated industry. Now, I don't think this lasts. I think the U.S. government is working quickly on a new legalization initiative. There were some rumors here in the middle of July that Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, will be promoting a new piece of legislation to try to normalize all of this. But we, we still don't know. We don't know whether cannabis will be a medical-only product at the federal level or will there be a responsible adult use or recreational market. We don't know that. We don't know how social justice initiatives will be incorporated into the cannabis legalization program. We don't even know where cannabis will be allowed, right? Today, there are certain states that allow private dispensaries, but, you know, there are examples in the United States where there are states that prohibit private retailers of alcohol. Uh, so will the U.S. government say, hey, maybe because this is a medical product, this should be prescribed at a pharmacy like a, like a Walgreens or a CVS? So there's a lot of things that are that are unknown, but... You know, regardless, I think people recognize that the U.S. is one of the largest markets in the world. And that's probably 
the most promising part of this. Now, Cleverleaves is trying to do its part to advance well-regulated, quality-built supply chains, you know, like the kinds that would be, you know, inspected by Invisa or the FDA. And we think that will give us an edge as, as the sector develops. So that's interesting. If I understood it right, and please correct me if I'm wrong. So the, the cannabis as a whole is not regulated, but a component, the CDB is like a component of it. And this piece is regulated depending on the state you are. Yeah, to try to be more specific. So there is a federal piece of legislation called the Controlled Substances Act. And that very clearly calls marijuana a Schedule One drug. A Schedule One drug is one that is effectively deemed to have no medical purposes, not, notwithstanding, you know, all of the evidence that we could bring to show to the contrary, but that's where it sits in the laws today. So it's very clear at the federal level that unless you have a facility which is authorized by the Drug Enforcement Agency or the FDA to, you know, manufacture, process, or handle Schedule One narcotics, marijuana is illegal. There is no doubt that is what the federal laws say. However, you know, the states still operate under this framework where they will participate and they give licenses to, to operators and there's just a lack of enforcement of the federal policy. But as cannabis has sort of evolved, I think people realize, you know, there's cannabis sativa that is often a psychoactive plant, but it can also, you know, represent itself in the form of hemp or you know, something that people traditionally call hemp. Hemp happens to be uh, strong in a certain cannabinoid called CBD or cannabidiol, it has other cannabinoids as well. And that portion, because CBD is typically not referred to as psychoactive, you know, has been loosened up under, you know, what we call the 2018 Farm bill. So sorry for a little bit of a, a tour of U.S. legislation, but it's a very complicated set of regulations today. But it's a great background. And, you know, I thought it was important to begin by that, because as much as there are so many gray areas, uh, still, I think it's correct to say that it's more advanced than many countries here in Latin America. Right. So let's bring it to, to my territory here. And then focusing on Brazil. So it's still under this whole process of government analysis and improvement. So what's your expectations on that? You know, different societies and governments move through the mental process of getting comfortable with cannabis at different rates. But I think if you looked across the world, if you looked at the United States, if you looked at Canada, Uruguay, Germany, you know, these aren't things that happen overnight. I mean, arguably, you know, cannabis in the United States really didn't begin to get this kind of quasi-state legitimacy until, you know, maybe 20 or 30 years ago. So we're talking about multi-decade movements And Brazil is at the very beginning of that process. And so I think while there, there are some people that criticize, you know, new countries for not legalizing fast, I don't think that's, that's a fair criticism. I mean, you know, just because a society embraces a different perspective on cannabis at a different time, I don't think we can kind of judge and say, well, hey, why doesn't Brazil, you know, catch up to the United States and have recreational products and state licenses? Like, it's going to take some time. Nevertheless, I really do appreciate the way that Brazil is approaching it, right? You know, Brazil is willing to make a foray into this. They have made a decision to focus on, you know, pharmaceutical and medical oriented products, right? And Visa is one of the toughest health regulators in the world, right? Typical products in the United States, which might be, you know, sold at a gas station or a, or a vitamin shop, you know, have to go through drug approvals in Brazil. It's a very intense environment. And I think that can only lead to good thing. You know, it means that the products that will be sold will be pure. You know, in the United States, a year or two ago, we had a very dangerous crisis 
where you know there were illicit manufacturers using bad thickening agents and vape pens, and that that killed people. I mean, that is the last thing a responsible industry advocate should ever want. You know, we want our products to be tested. We want the quality to be high. We want the governments to know what we're doing, and we want to be able to cleanly label for consumers or patients that are using that product what is in there. And that framework, I believe, is what Brazil is pursuing. So they're early on it, but let's remember that Brazil is one of the largest demand centers in Latin America, more than 200 million people. So there's no country, you know, larger than it in in Latin America. And so we're very, very interested. In the Brazilian market, I think it could be one of the most powerful demand centers for cannabinoids in the world. You know, that's interesting that you mentioned regarding the quality because. So my next question to you was going to be still regarding Brazil that it's exactly moving towards this direction of only big corporations be able to be involved on the production process and it shouldn't be allowing as well like small associations getting involved as if I'm not wrong I understand that's how you're doing in Colombia as you're giving access to women mothers single mothers to be able to be working on the process getting you know the society involved somehow but on the same time allowing as individuals to be involved could be risking the end quality and, and maybe could be a risk in the process. So what's your thought about that, of allowing, starting by allowing those big corporations against small associations? Sure. Well, you know, no matter what, you know, Cleverly's is very respectful of every government and every country that we operate in. And so, you know, it's tough for us to judge. There's a lot of a different, you know, social history around cannabis in, in different countries. But nevertheless, I think it's almost comical that people kind of think, you know, a company like Cleverly's is this big, bad corporation, right? You know, we're a startup by any stretch of the imagination. We're rapidly growing. But, you know, I think there's just a difference between a company, you know, we have about 500 people. So, you know, that's, that's big for an association. You know, it's not like somebody growing cannabis in their backyard, but, you know, we're not Pfizer or anything like that. But nevertheless, I mean, if you're talking about something that is ingested in the human body, is supposed to confine to a specific drug monograph or, you know, what are the ingredients? It's supposed to provide some medical benefit. It's prescribed by a doctor. I mean, you can't have somebody grow this in the backyard and be able to get to the same levels of quality. I think everybody understands that. You know, nevertheless, there is a bit of a social argument that says, well, one of the reasons a society is legalizing cannabis is to give people access to, you know, responsible use of this. You know, we don't we don't ban people growing tomatoes in their backyard. And I realize that tomato is not cannabis, but, you know, it kind of just speaks to more of a, you know, a freedom or liberty element. And so, you know, whatever societies decide on that, that's fine. Right. Even in Colombia, I believe there are still personal use you know, exceptions where people can have a certain level of plants. To me, I don't have a really strong, you know, social or corporate view on that. But what I do say is if you want a product that is going to be the same in every bottle, you know, we have 250,000 bottles of a high CBD product with 20%, you know, CBD and less than 0.2% THC. And that's been run through an EU GMP certified, you know, manufacturing facility that can't be done, you know, without sort of some modest scale often provided by a corporate environment. So, but either way, we believe in the power of cannabinoids. I would rather have society use cannabinoids than, you know, corporations be profiting off of them. So either one kind of helps our social mission at Cleverly's, but I think it's only natural that a company like Cleverly's can provide a specific and, you know, discrete advantage to a society or a government as they approach their legalization. Great. And what type of public would benefit the most 
from it. We've been covering a lot here at Future Hacker the importance of mental health on the show. And as I read, CBD might play an important role here, right? Yeah, to, to be honest, we're just starting to figure this out, right? We know that human using cannabinoids for, for thousands of years, but you know, we might think we have an advanced pharmaceutical industry. That pharmaceutical industry is maybe a hundred years old and the cannabis pharmaceutical industry is maybe five years old at best. So I think we've seen some really promising data and studies around things like chronic pain, nausea, or epilepsy that happens to be where you see some of the medically approved drugs, you know, Epidiolex or, or Sativex or even, you know, Marinol, which is a synthetic form of effectively THC used for anti-nausea treatment around chemotherapy. So, so I think those are some of the first areas, but the promise is very large, right? I mean, CBD is just one of more than a hundred different cannabinoids. We happen to know a little bit more about it than we do say CBC or CBN. But, you know, it's going to take decades for people to really figure out all those benefits. And, you know, I think that's why a company like Cleverly's can be so powerful in the sector is, you know, we help create purified forms of that that can be used in, in drug research and really try to advance the knowledge. Because I think, you know, we need to move past, oh, hey, I, I smoked a joint and that made, made me feel good. Right. You know, that's how cannabis tends to be experienced by a lot of people. They hear about a relative, an aunt, a, a grandparent who was staunchly opposed to cannabis. And then they you know, started chemotherapy and it kind of changed their lives. We need to get more of that data. And I think as we look at that data, we can objectively make a determination of you know, what therapeutic areas are fact and what therapeutic areas might be fiction. That makes a lot of sense. And on the same time, I would guess that it's still hard for sure, it requires a lot of testing and many years of experience and, and any usual phases that any new drug needs to be, you know, put to, 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 to have this data and proof. But on the same time, there's a lot of restrictions to be able to be doing that on a large scale, right? So what's your thought? And naturally, what's your personal thought, right? Regarding the recreational use of cannabis. Well, you know, Cleverleaves, you know, the company of which I'm the CEO, is strictly focusing on parts of the cannabis industry where it can completely abide by all of the laws. So that means federal, state, and, and local. So today, because there are only a couple of countries in the world, Canada, Uruguay would probably be the two best examples, maybe the Netherlands soon, you know, because we don't operate or sell product into those countries right now, we're not focused on a recreational or an American industry participant might say the proper word is responsible adult use of cannabis. But nevertheless, you know, our goal is to help patients throughout the world. The way CBD is being treated in the United States, which is different than, say, a country like Canada, is that CBD is kind of thought of as a nutraceutical supplement, right? People realize it has anti-inflammatory properties. They've seen the data around it helping, um, you know, epileptic uh, muscle movements. And so what is, what is a CBD gel cap sold at a vitamin store or, you know, even if it was at a gas station, is that is that a recreational product or is that an adult use product being used in a responsible way, you know, in a homeopathic format? So that's kind of one perspective of it. I think the other side of it is we can still power some research in this. So just a couple of weeks ago, Cleverly's announced a major initiative. We announced something called Project Change Lives, where we're going to provide $25 million, US million dollars, 
of product for research to be conducted in the United States, you know, one of the largest what you might call adult use or recreational markets in the world. And one of the reasons that we're doing that is because some of the research being done on cannabis today in the United States can only be provided by one place, the University of Mississippi. And they only provide it in flower format and they only provide very low potency products. You know, maybe 8% THC would be a sort of common threshold. Whereas if you walked into a dispensary in Los Angeles, you might be getting something with 30%. THC. So the researchers aren't using the cannabis that what you would call a recreational user is using, you know, out of dispensary. So, so I think we have to do a lot of work as an industry to try to bridge this gap between why are people using that product, what effects does it create, and Project Change Lives is probably the largest charitable initiative in the cannabis industry I've heard of to date to try to help drive that forward. That's great. Thank you so much, Kyle. Uh, it's it's being very interesting and informative, especially for me, that it's a completely new industry that we are covering today. We definitely have still a lot to talk about, especially now framing it to the future. So stay tuned, everybody. We are continuing on this, with the second episode with Kyle. Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Future.